I was getting ready on the one meter board for diving in Cloquet, Minnesota, junior high school. I was in ninth grade, and it was one of the last meets of that particular year. It was one of the few meets that my folks actually were able to attend. And, um, and I was doing, as I got up there, one of the most difficult dives that were in my repertoire. It was a forward double somersault um, in the tuck position, degree of difficulty 2.2. For those who are in diving, if you want to know those facts. But I had spent months practicing this over and over and over again. In fact, it had been well over a couple hundred times at least that I had done the dive. My coach's words filled my mind. He said, see yourself doing the dive perfectly. You know it. See it in your mind's eye. Close your eyes before you get up there. Make it second nature where you hardly even have to think about it. You just go into motion. It's just there. It's like riding a bike. You can do this. Follow your rhythm, your steps, the hurdle, um, the execution of the dive, tuck, wait, boom, explode out, boom, land that thing perfectly. Okay, coach, okay, you can do it today. I know you can. It's just you, the board, and the water. And there were many times where I had done this dive and I had not succeeded. I had fallen flat on my face, I'd fallen flat on my back. I had suffered the many pains of trying to do this. But this is not one of the days I wanted to do that. I wanted to do that well. And my mom's words echoed through my mind who said, you make diving look so easy. I know you worked hard. I believe in you. You're going to do great. I looked over at my dad. He smiled, nodded his head at me. My teammates were off on the side. They were smiling, giving me the thumbs up. Yeah, you can do it. So I had a lot of support. So I got up on the board. I saw the dive perfectly in my mind. I said, this is how I'm going to do it. I got up there, I did the hurdle, I dove off, I did the tuck, did a shot out of that, boom! And believe it or not, it was one of those times that I executed it almost perfectly. It was phenomenal. My teammates were going, you never do that good. <laughs> After I got out of the water, I can't believe it. I said, I can't believe it either. Um, but this constant practice, in fact, I got the highest scores I'd ever gotten. But I think back on that moment, and I can say this about it. It was powerful, and it was a defining moment in my life. And it influenced who I am today. The words of my coach, my parents, my teammates, all that were around me gave me encouragement to risk doing what they saw I had the ability to do. So think back on your life for a moment. What statements in your past have shaped who you are today? What are things that have been said to you that have influenced you so much they shape how you act, they influence you, for better or for worse? Can you recall them? Are they there? You see, your life has been greatly influenced by all that has happened in your past. Your family environment has specifically impacted, believe it or not, who you become more than you think. So here's an insight that rings true in many of our lives. The way that we talk to our children becomes their inner voice. This is mostly for you as parents and as adults and as teachers and leaders and people who work with students. How you speak to children often becomes that voice that they hear. Not only that, but how your family functioned, how they did things together, all the values they had, the experiences you had together. All these become part, actually, of how you view yourself. 
either positively or negatively. Look at the impact of a parent on a child. Here's James Kahn and Scott Kahn. If you don't know these guys, James Kahn's kind of the hard guy. And Scott Kahn plays on what? Hawaii Five-0, for those who watched it. Um, he said this, I followed in my father's footsteps in more ways than one. My dad was a rodeo rider. I was a rodeo rider, but only for a little bit. I wasn't good at that. My dad likes to smoke a good cigar. I like a good cigar. My dad was an actor. I, become, I became one too. He says, it's funny how all that happened. Yeah. How about Evil Knievel and his son, Robbie? Um, the mom said he's still chasing his dad, wanting to be like him, wanting his dad's approval. He realizes, um, Robbie does, that he's actually better than his dad at riding motorcycles and jumping them. But he fell into 20 years of getting caught up in drinking and drugs, also following a bit in his father's footsteps. But he was not interested, he said, in breaking his father's record of 433 broken bones in his life or living on the edge in such a way that, well, if I die, I die. Or how about this? Maybe this is more your family. Uh, I wonder what growing up will be like in that home. What impact will um, the parents have on this particular ch children and uh, in their midst? So, what was said, what you've experienced in life, it really impacts you. What you think, how you feel about yourself, you are set in motion in a certain way, and you probably adopted patterns and habits that are part of your family, because most people do. So, here's my goal today. As we move forward in this series, my goal is that you can look back in order to move forward in your life. It's all about God's great redeeming, transforming love. He's able to renew us as his precious children. Emotional health, this area of entering into this, this God, what do you have for me? This messy spirituality, as, uh, as Mike Iaconelli often puts it, he says it's a sense of don't pretend anymore. Be, let's, let's get real and let's get down with how that has impacted us and allow God to transform some of those things in our life. So God's Word gives us some amazing true stories. Um, just go ahead and look at it. You can see all kinds of families within it and see what struggles they have had from the very, very start. The story of Joseph and his family takes up almost one quarter um, of all of Genesis. And we have specific stories um, within it of how people raised their kids and how they journeyed through life. It's quite remarkable. Now, we talked about Joseph in the past, but I want to highlight some things. So if you have your Bible, you can turn over to Genesis 50. Um, we're going to look a bit at his life. But let me just give you a little background. When Joseph was younger, he was treated as the most important son, the favorite of his father. And his brothers highly resented him for that. One day when his father sent Joseph out in the field to check on them and also um, on what was happening, his brothers grabbed him because they were so angry, threw him in a well, and they were intent on killing him. But instead, um, as they were debating on this within the family, a caravan came by of slave traders and they decided, hey, let's just sell our brother to them. So they did that. They went home and told their father that Joseph is dead killed off. Years went by. The lie was buried very deep in the family system. 
Famine came in the land, and they were forced, actually, to go and get grain from the neighboring country. Little did they know that the very brother that they sold into slavery um, was actually the right-hand man to the king. So let's jump in the story at this point and read what happens when, um, when Joseph's dad um, comes into this. So, Genesis 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, so after the father ended up passing away, they said, what if Joseph now holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please, forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Joseph, um, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him and said, We are your laves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Note the next verse. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The whole of God's redemptive nature is put in that verse, summed up pretty clearly. You intended to be harmed, but God intended it for good. I have noticed in my life, through all the difficult things that have taken place, how God has been able to enter in and say, will you allow me to redeem this, to make it different than what's actually taken place in you, how you feel? Because there are five specific things that each of us need and that we are looking for in our lives. Every human longs for this. We're pre-wired with it. Um, we're made in God's image, and these are some of the things of how we receive and give love in the midst of that. So, we're all brought in the world um, through parents, and um, we hunger for secure, deep, loving relationships. So we all have a need for place. The wonderful sense of belonging. A place that we know that this is where I fit. This is where I'm accepted. This is where I'm nurtured. This is where I go to the people who I can be real with. I, I, it's, a, it's my place. I need, I need that. We need a place for nurturing. Words and gestures of appreciation, affection, being listened to, held. Um, what I need for each of my, um, my physical needs at any given stage, my emotional needs, my spiritual needs. There's, there's a need for the nurturing of each one of those. There's the need for support. Basically, that caring, loving environment that empowers who you are, sees who you are, and can bring that out. All of us long for that. Someone to see us in such a way that says, I see this in you, and I want to help pull that out. You know, Carson showed Awana, one of the great joys um, I have about working with the young people in Awana is being able to watch them and all of a sudden seeing something in them and to say, did you know this about yourself? And I'm talking about the positive things. Did you, I see this in you. Wow, how you? And uh, I never knew that. No. And at that moment, if you've ever had anybody do that, I'm hoping you have, it, it lightens them. Wow, someone sees something in me that's extraordinary and wants to bring it out. All of us need that. We have a need for protection from physical and emotional harm. The need for limits, boundaries. Without boundaries, there are all sorts of challenges that will take place um, 
you will have rebellion, narcissism, promiscuous behavior, um, lack of respect, all kinds of things that will take place without effectively divining, deciding what are those boundaries that are best able to help a kid thrive. Oh, and if you're wondering about that, parents, we, we're doing this uh, parent lab and we're going to be talking about some of those things, um, both in the sense of what's worked, what's not worked, and what are some things we can do in today's world. So um, I invite you to come to that. Not having some of our needs met lead each of us to respond to the void that we feel. I, 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 don't, I don't feel right. I, I don't feel good. I know in my family particularly, as I was going through the pain that I experienced, said, man, I don't want to feel this pain, so I'm going to move as far away as I can because I don't know how to deal with this. During the early days, that's, that was my choice. I had to withdraw because it was too painful. I found other ways to, to deal with that. There's often emotional damage that occurs that we're not able to understand um, when difficulties come. And by the way, nobody, nobody emerges from their family situation without their true self unscathed, without wounds or scars. Our true self in, in all of us is damaged. I think that's why God was very clear. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. None of us measure up, and we all have needs that he longs to meet. Thankfully, as our verse says, we're all born anew, right? God comes in and he changes our life. And I can tell you that that change for me was absolutely essential so that the past did not create for me and define for me what God had in store for the future. This cycle of putting off the sinful patterns of my biological family and being transformed now by the spiritual family, this authentic Christ-filled family was pretty huge. And... For you, maybe that's the journey you're on. Maybe you've never gone back because it's been too difficult. But God says, I have to go back in some way so that you're able to move forward and not have that hinder you. Take a look at Joseph's family, the genogram. The genogram is a, a fascinating um, tool. Um, Monday night we'll be doing some of this, so if, you, if you're coming to the Monday night, you'll, you'll find that uh, it's one of the things we'll talk about. So here, here's his, his way of kind of saying, how did my family influence me? That's just what I'll say about that. How did my family influence who I am today? And what are the experiences I've had as I grew up that influenced the way I think about myself, the way I operate? So here's Joseph. Um, his father um, had two wives, two concubines. Um, he was a pathological liar. He's striver. Um, and uh, he has all the themes of that following the generations. They had a kind of a, a family of, of people who truth-telling was not really easy for them to do. But Joseph was the favorite child, which is a terrible thing for the parent to do, set a child up in that way. Because um, each child comes with different personalities, different perspective, and being able to treat each of them when their uniqueness and loving them that way is important. So this created all sorts of problems. Um, he was given a special robe of authority, believe it or not. Um, Joseph dreams. He saw his family bowing down, and he went and told them, Hey, everyone, you're going to all bow down to me. Isn't that cool? Yeah, not so much. Um, you saw what kind of crisis that created. His brothers hated, envied him. Trauma happened, right? All of a sudden, he finds himself in a pit where his brothers say, We want to kill you. I don't know about you, but that particular situation would totally devastate most of us. Would totally devastate me. What, you You actually want to kill me? 
you're gonna, you're gonna take my life. So, so here he is, and it's this startling experience which has a lasting effect on our mental and emotional state. It has a lasting, it means it plays itself out over and over again, you can't help it. And so whatever trauma has there, it shatters our sense of safety. So he's thrown into a cistern, he's probably yelling, begging, please let me out, what are you thinking about doing? Trauma two is that his brothers decide, okay, we're not gonna do that, but we're gonna sell you um, to these Egyptians um, for about two years' wages, about $80,000. It was a good deal of money they got for, for him. And then they went back and told their dad that Joseph was killed. The funeral was held. The father believed it for 22 years. And Joseph's losses. Well, I lost my family. I lost my culture. I lost my mom and dad. I lost my country. I lost my place. I have no one to nurture me. I don't have the support. I don't really know the language. I don't have the freedom. I don't have the friends. There's a lot of losses. So as he goes through his life, yeah, that was a pretty significant one. And that question is, who do I trust when you go through loss? Who do you look to? And maybe he could have concluded, you know, there must be something wrong with me. I made a big mistake and now I'm paying the consequences. I should have never said the things to my brothers that I said. So the trauma three is thrown in prison later on. Um, slave for Potiphar, uh, unjustly accused of rape um, by his, his, his wife. He spent 11 of 13 years in prison. Um, he had no hope of someone finding him, but he lived out in prison saying, that's not going to define me. I'm going to see opportunities even there. Um, how can he go forward? Joseph, like many of us, could have said, they ruined my life. Years are wasted. What family does this? He could have jumped ahead and said, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm just going to give up. Joseph is in prison. Um, he interprets a dream. He's released from prison. He's elevated once again to a very high status. He's put in full charge of Egypt under Pharaoh. Famine reaches his family in Canaan. The brothers come to him. 20 years have passed without seeing the family. He could have said, that's it. I got my opportunity right now. This is it. Oh boy, I'm going to enact the kind of pain on them that I experienced. And bitterness could have totally overtaken his life. He could have easily killed them when he had the chance. But all those years of apart, something was happening to him. He was seeing what so few, few of us get to see unless we've actually done this kind of work. A processing through what's happened in the past and trusting God to give greater wisdom that he can help us to understand what his role is in it. So, Joseph models for us how to go back in order to go forward. And I want to just go through a few of those. And if you got your insert, it talks about this in there a little bit and you're able to, to, to get a little bit of uh, idea on that. It's easy for us to hate or ignore our past as we get older. Move away from it, anything in the pain, I'm not gonna deal with that. Do you ever feel trapped by something in your life that's very hard to change or let go of? Or that someone did something that you just, I just can't, I can't get over that? What were your family's mottos or commandments that you felt compelled to follow? Here's a question that a lot of people ask themselves subconsciously. I must do what to be loved? And the key on that what, I must do perform, I must do, you know, meet expectations, I must, you know, whatever it is, that's what I have to do to feel loved in my family. I remember that one particular time as my brothers were in high state of rebellion and didn't want any part of the family and they would be gone and, and uh, 
Jim was off in foster care and Jerry was um, getting in trouble with the police and my dad sat me down and he said, now John, listen to me. I need you to be the man of the house. I need you to take care of things. I have a job now that's gonna take me away for five days a week. I'll be back on the weekends and while I'm gone, I need you to make sure things go well here. Can you take care of your mom and your sisters and make things everything, everything's gonna go well here? Oh, uh, I, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so, yeah, I'll do my best. Okay, I just need to, I just need to know, can, can you be the man of the house? Oh, okay. So at 13 years old, when my dad's gone, I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And I gotta say this, um, it was a high sense of calling to say, I need to now be responsible. I don't have any opportunity to rebel. I can't take my own path. Um, and one of my family's mottos is that you define yourself by working harder and being more responsible than anyone else. Because if you can do that, you got it covered. What was created was very high workaholic tendencies, did not understand the idea of setting limits, which we're gonna talk about in a few weeks. How do we do that effectively? Why is that important? For years, I struggled with trusting God more than what I accomplished myself. Lord, how do I really trust you with this? I mean, this is a, this is a mess. I'm, I'm not doing so well at this. Learning to rest and wait on him for what he wanted to accomplish has been a lifelong lesson. So I think of you. I wonder what statements were made to you as a child, what statements you had growing up. What are the things that affected you in your life? Do you know what they are? Have you brought those to the surface? What are those things? Have you ever wrote, written them out and saying, now how does that impact how I respond in situations? Does it create fear? Doesn't me. Does it create worry? Absolutely. But does, it, does it really have the power to now hinder me from doing certain things? Absolutely. It has in the past. But once I got out and got a hold of that and was able to bring that forward, all of a sudden I saw that God was able to take that and said, I know, I know what it is to go through some of those things and I wanna be right there in the midst of what's going on in your life so that you know my presence can pervade and it can redeem all that stuff that's taken place. I can make new what has been demolished. I can make something better than whatever you had imagined in your mind, far greater than you can ask or expect or imagine. I am the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the, the creator of beauty and life and the real sense of his spirit can pervade you. And I'm going, really? And by the way, if you forget anything else, know that I love you, that I would surrender my own life for your sake. I will do everything possible so that you might be able to experience the joy and the beauty of my love. Don't you realize how precious you are to me? That's the kind of God that we, we get to walk with. That's what he's offering us. So you give me your junk and your mess and your brokenness, and I will give you a life that is well worth living, and I will redeem those things. So in your journey, I know that you might be afraid, but I'm gonna ask that you do some of those things. Get them written out. Find out what it is that has power in your life of those statements in the past that, that God wants to take and, and change it. Here's just a couple things about Joseph. I'm gonna go through that quick. Um, Here's the first one. Joseph's life was shaped by how he viewed his circumstances because Joseph had a large, loving view of God. It was large. He saw that God saw things bigger than he could. He saw that God understood more. So he was able to have this huge view of God 
and this loving sense that God is there with me in his presence. He learned to trust God's love and care for him more than his family could provide for him. Secondly, Joseph was honest about the sadness and loss of his family. I have wept many, many times over the losses of relationship with my brothers, with the brokenness of the family, with the sense that we weren't able to be coming back together. And I have prayed to God and there's been sadness. And the thing is that you have to allow yourself to grieve those things. It's painful. But when you bring them out, there's some healing things that takes place through those tears. And Joseph was honest about it. He was hurting. He could grieve. He didn't stuff it away. Thirdly, Joseph changed direction by rewriting his life script according to God's word and God's ways. He basically said, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust what you want to do. I understand your plan. I could have said I'm worthless. I'm a failure. I'm a lost cause and mistake. I won't let anyone ever hurt me again. Or he could have entered in and said, God, you intended something different than my brothers. As it says in verse 20, brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended, planned for the good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many people. I see something in a bigger perspective. My life and its brokenness now can have a greater impact. He embraced what Jeremiah and every follower of God eventually realizes. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come to pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. He loves doing that. He loves finding those who are lost and bringing and making and lastly, Joseph partnered with God to be a blessing. He said, okay, God, my life's in your hands. You go ahead and use it as you best see fit. You know better than I do, and I'm going to trust. And in the healing of the wounds and the restoration that God did, he saw God do amazing work through him. That's my prayer for us as we move forward, that as we celebrate what God's doing, that we can be ignited in that. Let me just pray, and we'll um, Lord Jesus, this is a tough topic, and I, I went over it very quickly. But I ask that in our midst, you know the hurt, the pain, the reality of, of what's taken place in people's lives, that maybe they haven't given up. Um, I ask that you will meet them, that they will surrender that, and they will find the healing balm of your presence to restore them. And then secondly, Lord, for those of us who have seen your amazing work in our lives and who have transformed us in ways, Lord, help us to see how we can continue to be that voice crying out in the wilderness to say, there is a God who loves you. There is someone who cares for you. Help us to see people in their brokenness and long to, to see them come to you. Give us that perspective, our Father. We need you, and we ask this in your precious name. Amen. So here's a, no, I think we're going to sing the song, Sarah. I think we're going to, I think we're going to do the song. Um, we're going to be a little longer day, but that's okay because it's our, it's our annual meeting. Um, and uh, we're going to do that in a minute. But I want us to be able to rejoice in what God has done and to praise Him.
sit down as we're going to move into the uh, section of our um, of our annual meeting. And uh, you might be wondering, okay, how do I um, how does this all work? Well, um, if you are a mission partner, which means that you have a relationship with Jesus and you have said I'm committed to this community and I am a part of this community and um, you have spent some time and um, you know us. Um, you are embraced in this part of what we are going to do, and we invite you into that. And so um, we have the opportunity um, to have our leaders um, come forward and share with you a little bit about uh, what uh, is our plan um, for a couple of things. Number one, as we talked about equipping leaders and having new leaders come, we're excited about that aspect. And so I'll have Bob and Paul come forward with the two items that we need to uh, go over for this piece. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Like this. Um, uh, good morning. Um, isn't our staff amazing here? We have a couple items of business. Uh, last fall, you may remember that. Uh, we ask you to approve a couple of individuals from the congregation to be on a nominating committee, and that uh, group um, helps us select people for leadership roles. So you approved uh, uh, Bruce Betts and Sarah Peterson. You joined Bob Minacci, and uh, they have been uh, discerning um, who to uh, add to our leadership team. We've, we've uh, determined that we wanted to add a couple different people. Thank you. And. Uh, so, Bob is here today to uh, share a nominee with you. Yeah, so good morning, everybody. On behalf, thanks, sir. On behalf, on behalf of the uh, nominating committee, I'd like to bring forward a recommendation from the nomination committee that Tanda Dudenkoff be elected to the leadership team. And since this is a recommendation from the nominating committee, it does not require a second. So I'd ask Tanda to stand up in the back. Does everyone know who Tanda is? So, and I, and you can sit down. I just wanted everyone to see you. <laughs> um, I'm gonna share a little bit about Tanda. Uh, she sent me a very brief bio, which I asked for. And I asked for it to be brief. So she was born in Guyana, the only English-speaking country in South America. She moved to Maryland with her family about 15 years ago. She's in her seventh year, seventh year of a combined MD-PhD program at Mayo. She's been at New Day for the last six years. She teaches at Kid Zone and facilitates one of the life groups along with her husband, Daniel. She considers it a great privilege to serve the body of Christ in any way, and that includes being on our leadership team. So with that, I'd ask the mission partners in the congregation to vote. So for all those in favor of electing Tanda to the leadership team, Please say aye. Aye. Oppose, same sign. 
Congratulations, the motion is passed. Thanks very much, Bob, and congratulations. Um, so the uh, other item of business we have is our budget um, for this year, and I think that there's, yes, there's a slide here. It's also in your bulletin, so you can uh, look at that as well. So uh, on this um, plan that we have, there are three columns, the one on the three columns of numbers. The one on the left is the actual um, income and expenses for 2017. The middle column is the budget that we used last year, and the right column is the proposed budget for 2018. Um, so I just want to say a couple words about this first, and then I'll just ask you if you have any questions. Um, first of all, you'll note that our income for last year was about $2,000 above our budget. And I just want to say thank you to all of you. You have traditionally throughout New Day's history, and I really appreciate the history that we had at the beginning, uh, you have been faithful in your financial giving. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, that tells us that you support the mission here at New Day, and it, um, it allows us to uh, have the programs, and more importantly, the staff here to carry on this ministry, so thank you. Um, if you look at the expenses, you'll note that we're finished the year about $5,000 under what our plan was. Um, and, and that really um, is attributed to our staff really managing our expenses well. Um, they do that constantly. Uh, Sarah mentioned at the beginning that we test everything against our mission and our vision. We do that with our expenses as well. So that was last year and the plan for last year. Um, if you uh, look at the far right column is our plan for this year. And uh, the uh, leadership team is bringing forward to you a budget of $320,000, for 2018. And um, you can see the, the breakdown through for the various categories there. I'll just point out maybe just one thing. Under ministry expenses, you notice that what we're proposing for next year is less than we actually spent this year and um, slightly less than our budget. Um, that is primarily due to uh, the keyboard that you see sitting here. Uh, we have planned that actually for 2018. Our keyboard decided that it was at its end of its life uh, a little bit quicker than we thought. So we ended up purchasing it in the end of last year rather than this year. So that's why those numbers are as different as they are. Um, you'll notice that our personnel expenses is the greatest part of our budget. Since we uh, don't own the building, uh, our, a lot of our other expenses are a lot less. So that would be normal for our personal expenses to be what they are. So that is the motion before you. Are there any questions that you have? I'll do my very best to answer anything that you may have. Seeing none, I will then ask uh, if uh, for your approval, again, the motion is um, for our budget for 2018 to be $320,284. All in favor say aye. aye. Opposed? Thank you, that'll be our budget. 
I have one final really quick thing. We're uh, prepared to um, send out to you your annual contributions for last year for preparing your taxes. And I visited with Janine yesterday, and she has the capability of sending those to you in two different ways. She can continue to send them out uh, through U.S. mail, so you receive a piece of paper with your contributions from last year, or she has the capability of emailing them to you. Um, and she asked me, which do you think I should do? And I said, I don't know. Um, I don't know how you feel about email and the privacy of that and confidentiality of that. So I thought I would just ask you, we can do it either way. We'd like to do it either kind of all one way or all the other way. Um, so I, I thought I would just ask, um, for those of you that would prefer to receive them through mail as you have in the past, on a printed piece of paper, would you just raise your hands? For those, I assume the last, I'm sorry? If you'd prefer to receive them through the mail as you have in the past, would you prefer to receive them by email? Okay. Obviously, more of you would prefer to do that. I will uh, work with uh, her and see we can't get that to happen. Thank you very much for your help. Thank you. want to close up in uh, prayer and um, and the worship team is going to sing one last song here as we uh, as we close our time. Lord Jesus, um, we have come to you throughout this morning and looking to you as you guide us and you lead us. And so um, thank you for the gifts. Thank you for this amazing group of friends that we get to journey together, for their commitment to want to be a light in a world of darkness, for their commitment to want to be a healing balm. Um, in a place that uh, brings about many wounds. For their commitment, Lord, to serve um, with their gifts and abilities and all that they are. And so we thank you, we praise you, we put ourselves before you and ask that you might be honored in all we're doing. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand as we close our service.
thank you for being willing to stay a little bit longer today. We'd love your help in helping to kind of take everything down. And then come on downstairs. We're going to have our potluck. We'll continue on. And if any of you say, hey, John, I'd like some prayer, find myself, Sarah, anybody that's here. Um, you can talk to Jake, talk to, to anybody that's um, Eric, um, part of the prayer team. Anybody that you feel comfortable with, you just say, hey, we just pray for him this morning. You can certainly do that. So, with the power that Christ has given us to go forward in our world, I invite you to head out and um, watch to see what God does as you trust him. All God's people said, amen.